procedures. As you just saw, this meeting is being recorded. The meeting will be recorded and made available online after the end of this meeting. Audio and video. We respect all participants in this con convening, convening today and want to create a safe space for all. By default, all participants will be muted, muted and video is disabled. For general public comment, at the end of each agenda item, the chair will prompt any member of the public that wishes to provide public comment to please select the raise hand function on Zoom. The online moderator will call upon the person who wished to speak according to the order of the queue. The moderator will announce the commenter's name and prompt the person to unmute. Please take a moment to rename yourself with your full name. For example, John Doe. This will allow the moderator to properly identify you during public comment. Members of the public who wish to uh, comment will have up to two minutes to provide public comment. At the end of the two minutes, the moderator will disable audio capabilities for the commenter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. Um, welcome, uh, welcome. I am calling the meeting to order. This is Mary, I am Mary Ellen Carroll. I'm the Executive Director of the Department of Emergency Management. Um, I would like to introduce our Mayor's Chief of Staff, Sean Ellsburn, to make a few opening remarks. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'd like to thank you all for coming to the first Disaster Council meeting in, um, by my count, nearly 21 months. Uh, I'm sorry, it is one that is uh, virtual. Uh, I very much look forward to uh, our opportunity to get back together in room 201 and uh, see all of you uh, in person. Uh, we are getting closer, but we're not quite there yet. Nevertheless, uh, still a great opportunity for us to reconvene, review the last 21 months uh, and talk about some other important issues in front of the city. I do want to recognize the president of the Board of Supervisors, Shimon Walton, who has joined us. Uh, thank you, President Walton, for being here. Um, and I would also like to take a quick moment on behalf of the mayor. Uh, this is rare that we have so many department heads and so many in critical Department of Public Health, Department of Emergency Management, so many other departments in one meeting. Uh, and so let me take this opportunity to say thank you to all of the uh, public servants uh, who have been a part of San Francisco's COVID response. Um, I, I think when we use the phrase public servant, every single person who was a part of this meeting, every single city employee over the last 21 months has demonstrated uh, really what it means to be a public servant. And uh, as I reflect back on these last 21 months, there is no question in my mind that what we accomplished collectively, what we accomplished as a city is, uh, I mean, what we've done is unbelievable. And we should all be very proud of the work we've done. And we should all be proud of the relationships we've built. And I am very optimistic, I think, in that the work we've done here tells me that when that next disaster comes, San Francisco stands ready to take it on and to surmount the challenge. Uh, and I also think there's a few other cities and counties and states around this great country that could learn a thing or two from that city and the manner in which all of us came together. 
Um, so I hope you all share the same pride that I do. I certainly know the mayor could not be more proud of every single one of you and our collective effort. Uh, and so on behalf of her, let me just uh, conclude my opening remarks by saying thank you uh, for the work you've done. And I'll turn it back over to Marielle. Thank you, Sean. I'd just like to echo your comments. Um, our, last, our last meeting was December 20, 2019. And uh, so here we are at our first virtual and hopefully last virtual meeting, um, but at least we're able to convene. Um, just to reflect, since it's been so long, uh, as we look as we were looking back at our agenda from that meeting in December 2019, we talked about the lessons learned from the public safety power shutoffs, our response to the Kincaid fire in Sonoma County, uh, the ESER bond, which uh, DM is part of that, and our work is starting is beginning now for our project and cybersecurity planning. It was a comprehensive meeting that looked back at how we responded to emergencies of the year past and how we were looking forward. And who would know that within a month um, we would be activating our emergency operations center to combat a global pandemic that has endured almost two years. Um, I also just want to say how grateful I am. I echo the sent sentiments of, of uh, Sean and the mayor about how truly um, amazing our city employees who are true public servants, um, how they stepped up. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the meeting. Um, there's also new members of the council. Um, I also want to um, thank, welcome President Walton. Thank you for your attendance. Um, we also have a uh, new member supervisor, Connie Chan, uh, District Attorney Chesa Boudin and City Administrator Carmen Chu. So a lot changes uh, in the course of almost two years. Uh, San Francisco's Disaster Council is chaired by the mayor and meets quarterly, or that is our intention during, excuse me, loud in front of City Hall. Uh, that's our intention during non-emergency times, and we're here to share information about uh, the emergency, our emergency planning activities. Um, so today's agenda will feature updates on those planning activities, uh, reports on our ongoing response to COVID-19 and wildfire season, and reports from our city's resilience and recovery planning for climate and seismic related hazards. Um, before we jump into the meat of the meeting, we want to take a couple moments to recognize some of our really incredible disaster service workers. Um, and so we have a, a special presentation of COVID-19 uh, COVID rec uh, recognition. Um, I'd like to uh, call to order this item and ask Dr. Colfax, our director of the Department of Public Health to join me. Are you there, Grant? I am. Good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello, Director Carroll. Thank you. So uh, this is a way, first of all, thank you to the thousands, yes, thousands of city workers and volunteers who worked in partnership with countless community and business organizations to respond to this pandemic. This included so many efforts, but 
it's not all inclusive, but providing testing, PPE, vaccinations, meals, groceries, and shelter to our community. Um, we worked with businesses to mitigate the impacts of the pandemic and planned with the community to provide culturally competent services and information. There are also many that work behind the scenes to ensure logistical, financial, and support services were well coordinated. And honestly, everyone deserves a gold medal, every person who contributed to this response. Um, San Francisco's COVID response required many innovations that really don't fall neatly into our normal incident command structure. And two of these uh, examples are within the COVID command's information and guidance unit, as well as the equity and neighborhoods unit. So I'd like to ask Dr. Colfax to pre present accommodation to the information and guidance unit and talk about their important work. Go ahead, Grant. Well, again, good afternoon. And I want, on behalf of the department, I just want to thank Director Mary Ellen Carroll for her leadership and all of the disaster council members for the support of their departments during this unprecedented uh, time. Uh, it's been a real challenge. Um, and with the mayor's support and leadership, we continue to do well. I'm cautiously optimistic about the future because of the work that we have done. I'm so glad to be part of the program to recognize our info and guidance team because without their work, we would uh, not be where we are today. And uh, today we have Erica Eilenberg, Jocelyn Highsmith, and Alice Kirken Kerniadi here today to accept this virtual commendation. And I want to take a moment to thank the work that ING has done. The ING team has created invaluable content guidance for us here in San Francisco, which has been so important, pivotal to our response. This work takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of expertise, it takes a lot of writing, and it takes a lot of distribution. And not only has it helped inform our response and been pivotal to our response to, in San Francisco, because this is really where people went to better understand the top line guidance and orders that have been issued. It was also the, the products that were produced were also used by many other counties and jurisdictions, not only in California, but across the entire country. And in fact, in my conversations with multiple other health directors and stakeholders, many have commented on how helpful this work has been. In total, the ING team produced a total of 618 documents 161, which are currently active. And since March of 2020, ING documented 675 clinical policy discussions. Those discussions that led to info and guidance and were so critical to informing our work. So we should all, I hope we are all grateful um, what, for what ING has done. They have contributed in so many ways to our response. And I'm really excited now to turn it, off, turn it over uh, to Erica, who will say a few words. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Dr. Colfax and the Disaster Council for this recognition of the Information and Guidance Branch. I've been with ING since April, 2020, uh, where I've served in various roles and I'm currently the branch's director. 
Throughout this time, ING has heavily led the city's reopening in close partnership with the city attorney team and provided guidance and recommendations for all of San Francisco on topics such as PPE, testing, and school reopening. As a testament to the sheer talent, thoughtfulness, and hard work of our team, several of our guidance documents were adopted by the state, as mentioned, and our documents have been accessed through, throughout the United States and Canada, as well as places as far as Dubai and the Netherlands. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge Alice Kerniati and Jocelyn Highsmith, who have joined me today to represent ING. Alice and Jocelyn, or AJ as we refer to them, have been with ING since March 2020 uh, as deputy ops leads. ING can attribute its operational nuts and bolts to their organized and diligent work day in and day out. AJ, we're so grateful you're part of this team. I also wanna thank our diverse team that spans multiple city departments and in particular acknowledge our library staff who make up about 40% of ING's team and have been critical to our success. They have been wonderful colleagues that we're happy to call part of the DPH family. ING also has a group of truly exceptional clinicians who are key to ING's secret sauce of progressive, thoughtful, and thorough guidance and policy. Lastly, I want to acknowledge Dr. Rita Nguyen, who is ING's longstanding branch director. Rita's brilliant leadership and tireless work paved the way for this team's strong foundation and continued success. When we receive our physical award certificate, uh, we'll be passing it along to Rita to commemorate her dedication and contributions to the activation. Again, thank you for this team's recognition as this has been the most inspirational and talented team I've ever been a part of and I'm honored to have served with them. Thanks. Thank you, Erica, and thank you to everyone who was part of the ING team. We truly could not have been as successful without you. Um, so congratulations. Um, so next, uh, I would like to present, uh, and it's my honor and pleasure to present uh, and to recognize the Equity and Neighborhoods team. Um, so this team of disaster service workers focused on equity, cultural competency, incorporation of effective community leadership, and they addressed health disparities throughout San Francisco's diverse communities. Members of this team worked long hours to connect communities who were really most disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. They worked to prioritize neighborhoods and communities of color for COVID-19 testing and vaccination sites, food security programs, and public information resources. Um, I just wanna say, I know it wasn't always easy with this team. And I feel like in many ways, this team had is going to have, um, at least for the Department of Emergency Management, some of the most long lasting impact uh, to the work that we do moving forward. Um, not only with our continued response to COVID-19, but in the way that we prepare and respond um, with, with an equity lens um, to all the communities within our beautiful city. So it's really my honor to present this commendation on behalf of Mayor Lyndon Breed to the Equity and Neighborhoods team. And I would like to ask Aaron Yen, our Chief Equity Officer for San Francisco's COVID response to say a few words. 
um, Aaron will receive the commendation and make brief remarks. And um, I believe that you will be joined by Isela Ford and David Leva. So Aaron, are you there? I am. Thank you so much, Director Carroll, and also uh, to my colleagues. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you, Disaster Council. Very honored to be here on the behalf of my team. I'm just one person here. And, um, you know, if Isela, my great colleagues, Isela and David, if you'd like to turn on your cameras as well, I believe Katie Tang is here. They deserve a lot of this applause and, and kudos um, because I can say firsthand, the folks that you see in that picture or you saw on that slide um, have really laid everything on the line um, for this work. And, and, and there's so many personal stories that I wish I could share and maybe one day I will. Um, but it just goes to show that the leadership um, of Director Carroll, um, Dr. Colfax, Director Davis, Shakira, Mayor London Breed, um, Katie Tang, Deanna Ponce de Leon, Lonnie Kent, to, to, to have that, that thinking of putting equity first. Um, the folks that you see on that slide, um, they don't just empathize with what's happening on the ground, they identify. A lot of us are natives. A lot of us lived in these communities our entire life. Um, and, and during that time, you know, and still to this day, kind of right now, you know, our, our country was torn very much so early on, um, faced extreme racial tensions. And then on top of it, we have this disease um, that we've never seen most of us in our lifetime. And so for the leadership to, to put equity first in leading and, and to see where we are now and, and to hear the comments earlier on by the mayor's office saying that, you know, other cities and, and, and countries can learn. Um, when I look back and think through just what the team has been through and as we move forward and possibly one day look back and say we survived this, I really hope they look at this work that we've done on the ground with our communities and, and ask ourselves, if we did this for every disparity that was out there, just imagine what could be accomplished. And I'm very honored um, for this team. And if any of you, I know there's a lot of people on this call that actually work with some of these folks. Um, I know they don't work to be acknowledged that I could tell you that firsthand, but this means so much to us. And um, if you ever get a chance to, to say hello and just remind folks how impactful they are in the community, I know that would that would go such a long way. So thank you. We still have work to do. We'll be out there, but really appreciate this honor and accept it on the behalf of our team. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Aaron, and thanks to the entire uh, Equity and Neighborhoods team. We're so grateful for your work. All right, so now we move on to the meat of the meeting and um, we are our next item or really our first official item of the meeting is a report on preparedness. Um, this is a report on the overall plan development and I would like to call our new Department of Emergency Management Assistant Deputy uh, Director Kim Bowman. Kim, take it away. Thank you, Director Carroll. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, 
I'm happy to be joining San Francisco. This is an amazing group of people um, as evidenced by all of the great recognition at the beginning of this meeting. Um, so uh, the lessons learned, the lived experiences and, and the solutions, um, non-traditional innovative um, solutions that San Francisco came up with um, are going to be incorporated into our plans and have influenced uh, our planning priorities here at DEM. I'm gonna start by talking about our uh, top three plan revision priorities. All of them are emergency support function annexes to the city's uh, emergency response plan. And for those of you who are not familiar, um, an emergency support function um, or ESF is a grouping of response functions. Uh, the three that we're focusing on are emergency support functions six, seven, and 16. Um, support function six is mass care, housing, and human services. This revision is going to focus on clarifying roles and responsibilities, and we're going to update some of our uh, sheltering and other uh, processes to include non-congregate settings and expect to complete this by the end of the fiscal year. Uh, next is uh, support function seven, logistics. Uh, this revision is going to create clearer processes, roles, and responsibilities. Um, and the first draft will be ready to socialize with stakeholders by the end of December. Uh, ESF 16 is our community support function. Um, and this will be a really extensive revision. During the COVID response, uh, we learned a lot from the community um, and how um, San Francisco can better partner with our community-based organizations um, and um, kind of a create a, a better whole community response. This is going to begin in January of 2022, and the first draft should be completed by the end of this fiscal year. Additional plan revisions include updating the tsunami plan with the um, maps that were recently provided by the US Geological Survey. They updated the tsunami inundation maps, and that will be completed by the end of the calendar year. Our air operations annex is a new annex. Um, it is different from the regional air operations plan and focuses on San Francisco's interface with agencies for assets that come to the city following a disaster. This will be completed by the end of the fiscal year and will be tested next year uh, at Fleet Week 2022. Additionally, we're looking at the uh, support function one, transportation. Uh, Uwas, Bay Area Uwasi, the Urban Area Securities Initiative, had a work group that identified um, better ways to serve the disability access and functional needs community through uh, better transportation strategies. So we're going to update our ESF-1 uh, with that information. Also, our support function three for public works will now contain a route reopening guide. This guide will provide uh, an explanation of route, route reopening basic strategy and uh, key steps for route prioritization. This uh, guide was actually developed just prior to COVID and tested just prior to COVID. Um, we, ex we will be submitting it for approval by the end of this calendar year. Uh, obviously all of these revisions are gonna require a, uh, additional revisions to our emergency response plan. And that will be conducted um, kind of continuously following uh, the completion of the annexes. 
any additional needed plan revisions will be identified through the COVID after action review process. And that's it for our uh, update on planning priorities. Thank you, Kim. Um, now I'm going to call um, Adrian Kelly, our Deputy Director for Emergency Services, um, and Dr. Andy Tenner, uh, the Director of Public Health Emergency Preparedness and Response. Adrian will re report on the city's wildfire preparedness, and Dr. Tenner will provide a report on the Department of Public Health's heat and air quality plans. So take it away. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Director Carroll. Um, so I'm just going to very quickly go over what our citywide response strategy is for heat and poor air quality. And then Dr. Tenner will get into a little more detail on what our thresholds and triggers are for uh, the city's response. So let's go to the next slide, please. So first we have um, four major components to our citywide response strategy. The first is risk-based public messaging. Uh, we implement this type of public messaging before, during, and after extreme weather events in San Francisco. Uh, we use standard media like TV, uh, radio, and social media, uh, but then for more urgent or critical messaging, we also have the ability to send very targeted alerts like our um, alert SF emergency alert system or things all the way up to our wireless emergency alerts, which are those Amber Alert style messages uh, that you can receive on your cell phones. Um, key messages that we generally push out include specific steps um, or recommendations for what to do to stay safe and healthy during, during an extreme weather event, um, also where to find city resources and where to get more information about that type of event. We also uh, use respite locations as another key component for our citywide response strategy. Um, that includes identifying locations to offer temporary respite to both residents and guests during an extreme weather event. Uh, the number of sites and the locations of those sites vary depending on um, the location, the size, and the duration or, or the severity of that type of weather event. Um, but we do have public locations, city-operated sites, um, and community-serving sites as part of our portfolio. Um, we also include vulnerable population outreach. Um, this is really critical to our response strategy. It includes um, proactive community meetings uh, before weather events occur, as well as partnerships with um, city agencies like the uh, Disability and Aging Services or our Homeless Outreach Team, um, as well as community-based organizations like Meals on Wheels uh, to perform wellness checks and distribute um, both information and resources to vulnerable groups during an extreme weather event. And then lastly, you'll hear more about this later on during the meeting, but San Francisco is often called upon to assist neighboring jurisdictions during wildfire events specifically. This includes sending staff um, as well as equipment sometimes to other counties um, uh, and providing support to other counties residents who may come into San Francisco if they had to evacuate their homes um, and we can provide shelter for them or other wraparound services. 
And so in the next slide, we go into where, where we're looking ahead for our strategy. We realize that extreme weather uh, and wildfires has become a major national problem. Over the last four to five years, the city really has made huge strides in our wildfire preparedness efforts, but we do recognize we have some improvements to make. So we know that when we open our weather relief centers across the city, very few people even show up, even when it's really hot or smoky outside. So we've come to learn that people prefer to stay where they already are or where they already have a routine. So we want to improve our data collection regarding these sites, as well as how to shift our strategy to make these sites lower barrier and um, more appealing, like providing transportation to the sites or identifying sites to allow pets or more personal belongings to be brought in. Um, we also know that what's been most, most successful in our response is to expand our network of community sites and to partner with those organizations that serve vulnerable populations and people with disabilities. Um, and so making places where people already go really is the key here. Um, we're committed to um, remaining creative in our solution building and also completing further analysis um, within our strategic planning and our capital planning process to make our overall response strategy even better um, as we move forward in years to come. So with that, I will turn it over to Dr. Tenner to provide some more detail. Thank you very much, Adrian. Uh, it's nice to be here with you all today. Uh, just a couple of updates on our um, heat and air quality emergency response work within the Department of Public Health. Um, so we have worked to uh, finalize our heat and air quality emergency response grids. Uh, those are grids that give different levels of um, of uh, seriousness of either the air quality or heat emergency and um, the actions that we need to take to try to protect health during those. Um, for air quality, uh, our, um, our measure is the air quality index, uh, our AQI. Um, and with those uh, response levels, uh, depending on the severity of the, uh, the air pollution and the air quality index, we respond based on, we start with messaging. Uh, to alert people um, and then depending on uh, how uh, the air quality emergency progresses um, uh, we have a plan that we have developed for the distribution of n95 masks to our department of public health staff as well as to um, unhoused uh, patients that might be at risk um, we also are working on a pilot program to distribute some air quality uh, monitoring sensors in uh, some of our, our uh, key locations to measure the air quality at specific sites. Uh, and that uh, work should be, will be undertaking over the next year or so. Um, we also, for heat, uh, heat is one of the emergencies that kills. Um, and so we have to monitor um, the heat uh, uh, very closely here within San Francisco, especially since we have significant issues with heat islands and um, some of our, our uh, our buildings do not have appropriate HVAC. Um, so we are monitoring based off of the temperatures outside um, and our uh, response includes, again, messaging to alert people to, um, to issues, as well as monitoring temperatures within the facilities and areas where we ha may have patients uh, and responding to try to um, implement either cooling measures or if, um, especially in some of our inpatient areas, if uh, we need to move patients to safer areas um, that we are prepared to do that. Um, we also um, 
if uh, one of the things that can come along with heat emergencies is uh, power outages. And so we um, have access to the Empower data, which is uh, alerts us to um, areas where people who have medical equipment um, that is life-saving that may require power uh, where those patients are so that we can support them in times of need if we have a significant event. Uh, and then we're also working to collect data on those uh, conditions that can be worsened by uh, heat emergencies to see what kind of conditions we, um, we uh, see more of during a heat event, as well as we know that oftentimes these presentations are delayed. So even after we get through the heat event, we may see um, some of the people that have suffered consequences from the heat coming in later. So we're trying to get a better understanding of how that works within the city uh, so that we can um, continually improve our preparedness plans. Um, we have been working with the Department of Emergency Management on those plans as well, um, uh, so that we are coordinating across the city. Uh, and then we are also, um, in terms of the, uh, well, we'll be speaking about COVID a little bit later, but we are working on after action reports for the first phase of COVID and working to update our plans based on the findings from that. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tenner. Um, and uh, both of you should uh, stick around because I think you guys are up next again. Um, but for now, I wanted to um, open this up for any questions from members of the Disaster Council. And I'm not sure I can see if hands are raised uh, or you can just speak out. So not seeing any right now, we can go to a call for public comment. Team, do we have, do we have anyone for public comment? Currently, do not see any hands for public comment, but we could give it a few more seconds, just in case. Again, if you wish to uh, provide public comment, please press the raise hand function and we will call you in order of the queue. Thank you. All right, um, not, not seeing any, why don't we move on to our next item? And uh, so this item will be around uh, a report back from the COVID task force. Um, again, I'm going to introduce Dr. Andy Tenner and DEM's De Deputy Director, Adrian Bikelli, um, to provide a COVID update. Um, so we will, I'll turn it over to, to the two of them. Thank you. Thank you, Director Carroll. Um, thanks again for having, uh, having us on today to give an update. So I wanted to update on our, um, the SF Department of Public Health COVID Task Force. Um, next slide. I'm currently serving as one of the three co-leads for that group. So just to give you an idea of how, uh, how this pandemic response has evolved over time, when we first activated in January of 2020, the initial response was based off of our usual response structure, which is a, a DOC-EOC structure, meaning we have departmental operating centers for each of the big city departments that would be involved in the response. Obviously the Department of Public Health was heavily involved in the beginning of the pandemic response, um, as were other uh, large city organizations like the Department of Public Works, um, the Human Services Administration and many others. 
Um, and then coordinating that is the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center that is run by the Department of Emergency Management. Uh, and they serve a function to coordinate all of the various um, departments that uh, in the response. However, as we were going through that response, uh, it became very clear that this was a much bigger response um, than our, our normal uh, response activities and required very um, closely linked coordination between all of the different departments. So in July of 2020, we made a decision uh, to um, uh, combine all of those functions into what's called a unified command structure, or we called it the COVID command center. Uh, within that structure, we had three incident commanders. Um, usually the DOCs uh, and EOCs have a single incident commander. So we had three uh, um, incident commanders, one from the Department of Public Health, one from the Department of Emergency Management, and one from the Human Services Administration. Um, and then obviously within that uh, COVID command structure, we had multiple sections and branches um, with many, many, many um, DSWs from across the city coordinated together working in a unified response. Um, that response served us quite well um, over the course of the pandemic and through um, our second and the third, uh, our worst surge in the winter months. However, as we started rolling out vaccinations, um, the landscape of the pandemic started to change a bit and we needed to adjust because the COVID command center, as many of you remember, and as I'm sure for those of you that don't can imagine, it was a, quite a large operation. And as we started um, rolling out more and more vaccinations, the, the landscape of the pandemic changed and we needed to change with it. So within uh, starting in April of 2021, we moved towards a transition state, um, which was moving back to more of a emergency operations center and departmental structure. Within DPH, we created what we called the DPH COVID task force. Um, and the reason for that is we're not a traditional departmental operating center, what we would set up for a disaster that would be something short-term. We are still doing a disaster response, but we have an eye towards the future state and what we need to do to make um, our, our response to COVID as it becomes more of an endemic disease or a disease that we uh, that is that um, has a low level prevalence within the population. How do we respond to that? The so next slide. So when I say the, the landscape of the pandemic changed, uh, what I'm really referring to is the fact who is vulnerable to the pan to to COVID. So when when we first started this response, everybody was susceptible to COVID um, and to to a very significant level, um, and with. Uh, and because of that, we were at very high risk of overrunning our hospital system and our healthcare system in a similar fashion to what happened to New York. We're the second most densely populated city in the US. We have a lot of people interacting with each other on a day-to-day -day basis at baseline. And without intervention, as you all are familiar, um, we were very concerned that we would suffer the same fate uh, as what New York had to go through. So, uh, as a COVID command, we worked very diligently to try to um, to try to uh, to mitigate that uh, the the impact of COVID across the entire city with all of the populations. In um, December and January, when vaccines became available, then our focus really was on getting vaccines out to as many people as possible, um, and we were very successful with the help of all of the San Franciscans. Uh, who helped to who agreed to get the vaccination and help us to to try to stop this pandemic and be able to reopen. 
So what has happened at this point now is that we still have areas, we have people who are unvaccinated within the city and who are at very high risk of hospitalization and death from COVID. We have others in the city who are vaccinated and at much, much, much lower risk of death and hospitalization to the point that we don't feel like we are at risk of a hospitals being overwhelmed in the same way we were uh, in early 2020. Um, but we know that there are uh, disparities within those who have not received vaccinations and who may be at highest risk um, of getting of getting severe illness from COVID, even more at a more granular level than the snapshot, so down to the census track level. So our response since that time has been much more focused on those highly impacted communities and really going um, almost person by person to try to make sure that everyone is offered the vaccine, everybody has the opportunity to have the information that they need to make the decision to hopefully receive the vaccine, and that we're providing services to those much smaller population level. Um, while the health system has, uh, including our large health partners, has resumed the care of the vast majority of the population, um, similar to what they did pre-pandemic. Next slide. So the mission of the, COVID, the DPH COVID task force is really now to reduce hospitalizations and deaths in our most highly impacted communities. So we're really fighting for those communities uh, where COVID uh, is still a, a major threat to try to intervene to reduce hospitalization and death. The other uh, element that's really important to our mission is to facilitate the safe reopening of schools. Uh, so we are working to support the San Francisco Unified School District uh, in their efforts to um, safely reopen schools. Next slide. Our plan uh, to achieve this mission, we are obviously still very much focusing on our vaccination outreach efforts to our most impacted communities. Um, we're also working with health systems to ensure easy access to vaccinations in children under 12 once those are available. We're watching the, the, um, the application for uh, an EUA for the under 12 vaccinations very closely. We're also working to focus at the same time on providing low barrier testing and prevention and mitigation services to highly impacted communities. Obviously vaccines are our ticket out, but in the meantime, we really wanna make sure that we support uh, those communities um, to identify cases early to try to help stop the spread. We're also working with our community partners using um, sound community engagement principles and, trying, um, and really focusing on enabling our person-centered care. Uh, this is obviously an area that uh, is always a work in progress, and we are uh, very committed to making sure that we can work with our partners and trying to build capacity um, to continue this response in the long term. We're also monitoring for COVID variants uh, and indicators of waning immunity um, so that we can intervene early, and then also maintaining readiness, uh, which includes training and exercises in the event of a resurgence of cases, um, similar to what we saw with the Delta variant as soon as we, um, we made a transition to the task force. Next slide. So this is an org chart of what the task force structure looks like. Um, this is just the Department of Public Health uh, task force component. We have um, uh, trifecta, three leads, um, myself, uh, Baljeet Sangha, and Charles Fan. Uh, and then we have several um, uh, sections that cover the usual operations that we need in a response, like medical operations, information and guidance, which was highlighted earlier today, uh, external communications, equity and community engagement, uh, epidemiology and surveillance, supplies and logistics, and uh, a function for quality assurance and performance improvement, um, as well as coordinating with the health services and planning functions. 
These are obviously only the, the Department of Public Health functions. We work very, very closely with the Department of Emergency Management, uh, coordinating through the Emergency Operations Center with all of the rest of our city partners uh, as we continue to try to keep the city safe from COVID. Thank you so much for your attention. I'll hand it over to Adrian. Hi everyone, um, thanks again for listening to how we're continuing to respond to COVID as a city. Um, but in, in addition, we are simultaneously really working to identify lessons learned and where to improve our emergency response in the future. Um, and we do this by creating what we call an after action report. Um, so as we go into the next slide, we really we started by interviewing um, over 50 people who had um, various roles in uh, COVID response thus far. Based on their observations, we drafted an initial report. We sent it to some key partners for feedback. We held an initial after action conference to share some of our findings with these city partners. Um, and we're currently accepting feedback based on that conference, uh, which it can be provided through October 8th. So that's the point in the process where we are right now. Um, next, we will meet with individual departments to review their identified corrective actions as listed in the plan. Um, and then we will revise and issue the final report uh, more widely. Um, and we'll update the improvement plan on an ongoing basis. Next slide. So our draft report, our draft after action report covers, uh, really spans from, from January of 2020 through April of 2021. Um, because our response is still going, uh, we really needed to provide some parameters and scope around the, the report. Um, so it, it covers what Dr. Tenner just referenced as our, our initial response and then our unified command response phases. So those first two boxes in Dr. Tenner's slide. Um, and then future plans and iterations will cover uh, vaccine, will cover reopening um, and our demobilization operations. Um, and then, as I mentioned, this, this report is informed by initial interviews, um, ongoing feedback, and then um, we hope to issue uh, the final report just before Thanksgiving. Um, and so to give everyone a preview on the next slide, I'm going to quickly cover some of the main themes that we have seen in the report thus far. Um, within our areas of strength, uh, we, we really highlight um, areas so that we can be sure to build upon those strengths and make them really even better. So we have our unified command and citywide coordination. This uh, really emphasized the coordination between many city agencies, uh, city uh, contractors, community organizations, um, and other partners that was really made possible through an organization of people, of resources, and of joint priority that structured the unified command at the COVID command center. We also highlight our robust joint information system. Um, this is a combination of both the um, information and guidance group that you heard about earlier, as well as our joint information center, which really focuses on public um, information. Uh, this joint information system produced in-depth public guidance documents, as well as 
timely, branded, and recognizable public messaging in multiple formats, in multiple languages, um, and really uh, adjusted to the ever-changing science and ever-changing public health guidance in San Francisco. Um, and as we heard earlier, the guidance generated by San Francisco was replicated by other jurisdictions, other states, even other countries. Next, the integration of equity um, was a huge strength for us for the first time in San Francisco. Um, equity principles were integrated into the actual emergency management organizational structure. Um, we uh, incorporated equity officers who were empowered to support the communities where the pandemic exacerbated um, pre-existing inequities or inequalities. Um, both based on the social determinants of health or based on just uh, historical issues um, in those in those areas. And um, and equity officers really were a new concept in San Francisco's emergency management. And as Director Carroll mentioned, it's going to be one of the ways that um, we really can change the, the landscape of emergency response in San Francisco in the future. Then we have our dedicated disaster service workers. Um, thousands and thousands of city employees stepped up in all different areas, all different departments. They were, they were dedicated, they were flexible, they worked so hard, um, and they were filling positions outside of their normal scopes of work. And, and many of our disaster service workers ended up saying that while this was quite possibly the most challenging assignment or assignments, plural, that they've ever had in their careers, um, that this really was one of the highlights of their careers. And then lastly, date, our, our data and our modeling. This was a huge strength for us in San Francisco. Um, we, it helped us have informed decision-making um, and it helped our public health and medical experts um, to develop really um, important uh, protection measures for San Francisco. Our advanced planning team is and was brilliant and they were able to anticipate the curve so that our decision makers could make decisions to flatten that curve. So, um, so that was really key. Um, next slide, we have our areas where we know we experienced some challenges and we are already um, actively looking to improve in these areas. So while our disaster service workers were super dedicated and incredible, um, we had a lack of training and we had ongoing issues with deployment of disaster service workers and the overall program. The program was not built for two year assignments um, or, or this type of temporary work for this long duration, but it was the uh, program we had available to us. Um, and so the lack of just-in-time training, the lack of resources, um, the, the length and the scope of deployments, um, workloads, uh, there were some issues with classification and compensation, um, and then clarity of, of reporting structures when people are taken out of their home departments and put into this new structure, understanding the reporting requirements was, um, was a key challenge. Then we have the prioritization of our whole community. Um, our initial response operations did not prioritize the whole community. Um, meaningful community engagement started as a challenge because uh, some of our long established relationships with community agencies in the city had lapsed 
over the past couple of years. Um, and the city really struggled to adequately incorporate true equity in all of its services. Um, racial equity eventually became, excuse me, a very key component in our response, and it continues to be. Um, but we also had other vulnerable populations, um, such as those with disabilities or access and functional needs, um, and the LGBTQI plus community um, that were not prioritized. Um, and so we, we have significant challenges there for both city agencies as well as residents that we are actively working on um, improving. Then within our logistics and our resource procurement, we, we were in a global supply shortage. People were running out of toilet paper and masks and everything. So we needed to band together our purchasing power as the city and county of San Francisco. Um, and so we, we experienced challenges with that. It was the first time we really had to direct certain city agencies or departments that they were no longer allowed to purchase things on their own. And it had to come from the whole city. Um, and so there were some bottlenecks. There were some duplications of effort there um, and confusion over roles and responsibilities. Um, then the integration of new systems. It's always really, really hard to learn a new system when you're in the midst of something like an emergency that is so um, stress provoking. We use the incident command system um, as required and as is best practice for emergency response. And we also incorporated really key principles of lean um, and lean management and those principles um, into our, our operations and into our methodology. Um, but not everyone who was responding was familiar with the incident command system or with lean. And while both of these exist really to make things simpler and to make things easier and, and more efficient, learning a new system in the height of an emergency is super difficult. And people who are unfamiliar with one system or another didn't really know how to operate within those parameters. And so it slowed down operations and in certain circumstances, um, it delayed key uh, critical decision-making. Um, and then lastly, for our areas for improvement, the scope of the COVID command center, right? It's, it's called the COVID command center, but it had to expand because all of the city resources for emergency response were associated with the COVID command center because it was the biggest and baddest thing that we were dealing with at the time. Um, but then when other things came up like public demonstrations or severe weather, you know, the day the sun didn't come out in San Francisco, um, the, it fell to the staff of the COVID command center to execute these response operations. And the staff were already overburdened with COVID response. Um, and so doing things that not just wasn't COVID, but also wasn't their normal day job was a challenge. So next slide. Um, all of these uh, observations, especially those where we experiences where we experience challenges, will be combined into what we call our master improvement plan for the city. Uh, this plan is something that provides it's basically a single location where we can track and where we are accountable for action items along a very specific timeline. Um, and that this plan will be updated by the end of this year um, to include the matrix that we are developing for COVID and a, a sample entry you can see on this slide of um, the type of matrix that we're developing. 
Um, and then as we continue on the last slide here, um, we're going to be, again, revising the draft report that we have over the next few months. We're going to incorporate additional feedback that we receive um, from those who we have not yet been able to hear from. Um, we'll be meeting with departments to uh, make sure that they are committed to their relevant action items. And we'll also be incorporating additional information as well, like other departmental reports, um, as well as what we're calling a, a a deep dive working group where we know this initial report really only scratches the surface um, for, for some of the challenges. And then lastly, once we uh, return to stable everyday operations and, and COVID has faded into yet another virus that we all know how to live with, like the flu, uh, we will be writing a final report that covers vaccine, our city's reopening, and the demobilization of our city's response efforts. And that's it from me. Thank you. There we go. Thank you, Adrian and Andy. So um, let's see, where are we? Um, we always prioritize uh, at San Francisco, sending resources through mutual aid to jurisdictions who have suffered from wildfires. Um, since late August, San Francisco Fire Department has deployed 30 staff the sheriff's office has deployed eight staff and animal care and control has deployed two staff. And some of these staff have been deployed multiple times to multiple fires around the state. Um, as we start October, we're still in and kind of right in the heart of a uh, wildfire season. Our mutual, aid, um, our mutual aid deployments will likely continue. Um, we'd like to, uh, we appreciate all our departments who provide mutual aid, in particular the fire department. Um, I'd like to ask Chief Nicholson, our fire chief, um, to provide an update on S, uh, San Francisco's fire department mutual aid re uh, response. Thank you. All right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I will be brief. If you could uh, move to the next slide. Um, we had over uh, 75 members deployed to different fires. Um, over the summer. And um, let's remember, we still have many months of response to go. We have over 200 of our members that are trained uh, to deploy um, for wildland. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll see what, what else is coming. Um, our, our, uh, we went to the Dixie Fire with a strike team, which consists of five of these uh, vehicles that you see uh, on here. We call them pump and roll. So you can pump water and uh, uh, have a hose line off of it while you're driving. Um, so we did that at uh, Dixie Fire. We also sent a strike team to uh, Three Rivers Complex Fire and um, to the Fawn Fire. We sent one of our state-owned uh, state rigs with our staff on it, uh, an OES engine. Um, staffing issues for us and for uh, statewide have been uh, the biggest challenge uh, this, this year. Um, and uh, the state uh, has really been stretched thin with all the fires and the need for more staffing. Uh, next slide, please. Um, in addition, we have um, staffed incident management teams at these fires, um, you know, uh, and this includes everything from logistics, finance. Um, it's these are extremely important roles um, and it's a, a, a component of, of these uh, wildfires um, in order to support um, actual operations. 
And uh, this is really good experience for our members as well, because then they can come back here and hold those positions in the event of a disaster um, here as well. Um, so that is uh, pretty much uh, it for our, um, for our uh, mutual aid update, um, other than we have been working with QC and DEM and created a wildfire response matrix um, to protect water assets, assets um, outside of San Francisco. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Chief. And we are very grateful for um, the safety of our teams that respond uh, and who have come back safely and, and for those that will go in the future. Um, at this point, we can uh, entertain any questions or comments from members of the council. And not seeing any, we can call for public comment. Again, this is a friendly reminder for public comment. If you wish to public comment, please select the raise hand function and we will call you according to the queue in order. Thank you. So far, see none, madam. Okay, let's move on to the next item. Thank you. So our next item is report on resilience and recovery programs and our chief resilience officer, Brian Strong, will provide a report on the heat and air quality resilience program, the hazard and climate resilience plan and concrete building, excuse me, concrete buildings program. Welcome, Brian. Hi, thank you very much, Mary Ellen. Um, and hello, it's good to see everyone or at least virtually see everyone and see everyone's names. Um, I'm excited that Disaster Council is, is back meeting. So uh, very quickly, my name is Brian Strong. I'm the Chief Resilience Officer. I also oversee the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning um, that reports to City Administrator Carmen Chu. There is a lot that's been happening, certainly related to COVID, but also unrelated to COVID around climate change um, and also around our earthquake programs. I will just briefly touch on three of those for the sake of time, um, but I'm happy to answer questions that, that anyone has or come back or, or, or do follow-up presentations either here or to your own organizations. So foremost, um, just recently, uh, September 15th was the final deadline for the soft story retrofit ordinance that the city and county of San Francisco passed in, well, way back in 2013. Um, this is a really huge milestone. The soft story retrofit ordinance represents, you know, required five plus five buildings with five or more units um, to make se seismic safety improvements. Uh, it impacted over 5,000 buildings and around 112,000 residents uh, as a result of this will be in buildings that are considerably safer um, than they would have been otherwise. 99% of the buildings um, have submitted permits to do their construction work, and we have over 83% of them that have already completed their construction work. So in terms of compliance, this is, this is a, a really strong number and something that we should all be proud of. Uh, for being able to accomplish and, and really recognizing that the people in the city and county of San Francisco, the, the homeowners, the renters, all of those folks that, that helped make this so successful. Uh, and again, that will have big impacts for how we recover from earthquakes uh, and other events in the future. The next large uh, aspects of buildings in the city that we are looking at 
are concrete buildings. These were identified in our community action plan for seismic safety. Um, and we know that there are certain concrete buildings, mostly uh, that were constructed before 1980 that have insufficient steel um, within the concrete. And as a result, uh, they have been susceptible to either failure or to collapse. Uh, we saw this happen in Northridge in New Zealand, more recently in Mexico City, in Chile. Uh, this, this is something that doesn't impact all soft story buildings, but for some of the ones that it does, it can be um, very severe. So we are moving forward with that program. Uh, a lot of the buildings in that program are similar to soft story, represent housing stock, uh, you know, rent, uh, low-income housing, uh, rent-controlled housing. So th this is going to be really important. Uh, they, these concrete buildings also represent some of our warehouses, what we call tilt-up warehouses, repair shops, um, and some of those other structures. You know, some of them are grocery stores. Those things that are also important, um, not just for protecting um, loss of life in the event, but also very important to have up and running after an earthquake. So we are happy to report more on that program as it goes forward. Um, Next, I just want to mention the, the heat and air quality resilience project that we're working on. This follows up some of the comments that Adrian and Dr. Tenner were making around heat. Um, aside from today, which is pretty warm, we have, we've been fortunate in 2020. We have not had the same severe heat and air quality impacts that we did, uh, that we had, you know, really going back to 2017, uh, every year since. So that's the good news. Um, we're taking advantage of this time uh, to put together a comprehensive heat action plan. And this is a plan, it's, it's really, it's a cross-sectoral initiative. It's involving public, private, community, and academic stakeholders um, that we really need, we're relying on to identify, plan, and implement both medium and long-term uh, extreme heat and wildlife and wildfire smoke resilience strategies. Uh, so Adrian talked about you know, some of the events that were some of the respite facilities and those things that we are doing around response. Well, this we also recognize that it's important to address uh, the long term improvements and sort of become more adaptable to higher heat, which which we know we're going to continue to experience um, and poor air quality both. So that that committee is split into um, an existing buildings group that's focused on you know, how can we retrofit and improve existing buildings so people can stay in their homes, um, green infrastructure, how we can use plantings and trees and those types of things, reducing concrete, reducing heat, heat island impacts, um, and then following up on some of the items around response and community readiness. How can we support our communities to be able to take care of themselves? Um, so that plan is, is, we're gonna be working on this, that plan in the next year and, we will be making recommendations for capital improvements and those things over the budget cycle. Uh, next, I'll, I'll end with the city. You know, since we met, I think we talked a little bit about our hazards and climate resilience plan, which is an update to the city's hazard mitigation plan, uh, which is required by FEMA. So that plan was completed actually in July 2020. It was approved by FEMA. Uh, we had a number of very positive comments for the thoroughness and public outreach. Uh, and inclusion of equity and climate that are that's in this current plan. Um, now, every year we need to update it. So the most recent update that just happened in July, we found that uh, over 50% of the 98 strategies, um, yes, we have 98 strategies in our hazards and climate resilience plan. 
um, are on track and are moving forward. 65% uh, of them actually already included either in the budget or, or are part of recommendations that are coming through the city's 10-year capital plan. Uh, the other thing that this hazards and climate plan leads to is an update of the public safety element. Uh, and that effort is also underway that's being led by, um, by city planning. So with that, uh, I will pass it back to, to Mary Ellen. And, and again, thanks everyone for the chance to give you a quick update. Thanks, Brian. Um, a lot of important work there. So we will uh, now move on to questions from members of the Disaster Council. And I do see Supervisor Chan. I see your hand. So please go ahead, Supervisor. Thank you so much, Director Allen. And thank you so much, um, Brian, for the report. And perhaps we maybe have already have briefly covered this. I My question is, you know, I am very fortunate to have a predecessor who's really thoughtful, but also unfortunate been through the wildfire that we really uh, had a hard time with, you know, ventilation, uh, really, especially for our seniors in our district, but of course, citywide. So we, she was able to, Supervisor Fewer was able to provide it at back funding um, and purchase uh, some of the, um, through NERT, I, th I believe, program to in collaboration and provide some uh, HVAC um, machines. I, can't, I think that's what they are and, and to be installed into uh, at, at all these different senior centers. I'm just kind of curious as you work along the plan for immediate solution, are there, it, will that program to continue, expand it do, how do we circle back to make sure that it's it's helpful and 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 it's if it's worth our resources to expand it to somewhere else beyond um, the Richmond? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Supervisor Fear. Just just quickly, and and maybe Adrian can can speak to this as well. I mean, I, we are incorporating um, the you know being able to bring in clean air filters and air and air cooling units. Uh, for for different for our city-owned respite centers, and we're also working with nonprofit organizations, community-based organizations, to be able to roll those out um, to them as well. So that work is moving forward. I don't know, Adrian, if you wanted to comment on how we're leveraging what's happening in the Richmond. Sure, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Chan. Um, and we definitely did partner directly with Supervisor Fewer to, to get these portable air conditioning units out to um, out to District 1. Um, those are either in the process of being installed or um, have already been installed. And uh, we really appreciate the advocacy from, from the Supervisor's Office to, to allow us to, to get a hold of that funding to, to do this. Um, part of our ongoing um, heat and air quality resilience project is incorporating more community-based organizations and um, stronger relationships with the community. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, we're trying to move away from these larger weather relief centers that we have um, within San Francisco and more toward these community serving sites. Um, and so we are, we're actively working with the community. We're looking to also partner with um, district supervisors to identify locations where we can partner with those locations to provide additional um, either air filtration or cooling equipment. 
there's a lot of challenges to some of this work. Um, some of it is funding, but also some of it is a lot of engineering work. Um, as we know, San Francisco um, infrastructure is not really built to withstand heat or withstand large amounts of, um, of, of uh, electricity for that to power these types of air conditioning units. So uh, sometimes the process does take longer than we anticipate, um, but really, really happy to continue this work with you, Supervisor, and to take um, more of the discussion offline to make sure that we're getting uh, exactly what we need um, out in the Richmond, out in D1, but then to use that as a model for other uh, uh, districts as well. Great, I, I really appreciate it. I know that, you know, um, during the heat wave, we were able to get to use like libraries, um, swimming pools for uh, cooling centers, um, just really also look forward to, you know, not just um, community groups, but, but perhaps community centers like rec centers, like how can we, how can we do that, which I assume it's also part of your plan. Right. That's right. It is. Yes. Great. Um, I am so sorry, like early on that there's now that I got you, Adrian, on here, actually early on, like there was a question that was uh, really quick um, that I, I wanted to, if I may circle back really quickly, you know, from lessons learned for uh, you mentioned about, you know, logistics and, you know, preparation around log logistics and uh, purchasing items. The quick question that I have I hope it's a quick answer, but just wanted to see if we have established a stockpiling program, um, learning from the lessons that we had and um, just wondering that that has been in the plan or maybe I missed it in the presentation, but. It was not included in the presentation, trying to keep it as short as I can. Um, we do currently have um, a, a stockpile from initial PPE that we purchased during COVID that was originally scarce resources um, that we really did stockpile as a city. Um, and then the way that our city departments is getting uh, are getting a hold of that type of equipment is that we have monthly distributions um, from that stockpile and that incorporates both their department use as well as the uh, the contractors that they use, the CBOs that they contract with uh, to be able to get um, some of those things like masks, like hand sanitizer um, to those groups. So we have um, assembled that type of um, stockpile, if you will, based on COVID. Um, but we are, we are also, um, we're not planning on maintaining that overall stockpile to the degree that we have it now, um, because we wanna make sure that we are, we're spending our resources appropriately. We are though using um, a lot of our forward planning to be able to anticipate any shortages in um, special equipment or special PPE, so that we are pre-purchasing and also pre-distributing to locations throughout the city um, where that equipment or, or, um, or type of um, masks or that kind of thing will be needed. So we've been working with the Human Services Agency as well as with uh, the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing in particular to identify areas where we can pre-stage this type of equipment and resources um, for extreme weather emergencies. Thank you so much and thank you Director Allen for, for allowing me to, Carol. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Disaster Council. We're so happy um, that you are part of our council. So thanks. Um, 
Okay, now I've lost track. We need to do public comment. That's where we are. Um, let me know, team, if we have anyone for public comment. Again, as a friendly reminder, if you wish to make public comment, please raise your hand with the raise hand function. We will call your name according to the order of the queue. Thank you. At this moment, Director, we do not see anyone in the queue. All right, well, then let's move on to our next item, which is the Disaster Council member roundtable. So at this time, any member of the Disaster Council may make an announcement. Um, it probably is easier if you can use the raise hand function to let us know if you have any announcements. City Minister oh. Chu. Yes, please. Please go ahead, City Administrator. Uh, my, thank you. I was trying to turn on the video, but I cannot. So I'll just uh, go ahead and make the announcement through voice message. Uh, first off, thank you very much for including me. Glad to be on newly onto the Disaster Council here. Um, just quickly by way of announcement, I think as many folks know, especially members of the Board of Supervisors, there was a hearing recently at the board uh, stemming from a civil grand jury report regarding fuel resiliency. And so I just simply wanted to say that this is something that is very much a collaboration and work uh, that we will be pursuing with the Department of Emergency Management to make sure that we're resuming the regular meetings of the fuel working group over the coming months. Uh, we will begin to uh, reconvene as folks are coming back from their DSW deployments. Um, the members of different departments who are uh, subject matter experts, including public works, MTA, PUC, our office, DEM, uh, of course, our public safety entities and some of our enterprise departments to ensure that we hear the, the vast perspectives and what we need to be doing to get prepared for fuel resiliency. And I know that uh, Supervisor Chan has also requested that we continue to keep her office updated with regards to the fuel working group um, deliverables. And so we will continue to do that and we'll bring updates to the Disaster uh, Council in future meetings. That's it for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, okay, and I see our Director of the Department of Human Resources, Carol Eisen. Please go ahead, Carol. Uh, thank you, Director Carol. And to members of the council, I just wanted to get on and, and also echo the earlier comments. It's my first meeting of the Disaster Council and I'm really looking forward to participating. I uh, just wanted to get on to congratulate um, all of the honorees from earlier in the meeting and to thank you for your work. Um, uh, it's been an experience and an honor to be able to work aside uh, with you and aside with you. And I'm looking forward to uh, improving and expanding on our disaster service worker uh, protocols and um, uh, procedures as we go forward. Thank you. Thank you, Director Eisen, and you know, thank you to you and the entire small but mighty team um, at DHR who have been, are, are definitely among the heroes uh, of the past 19 months. We're very grateful and continue to be, so thank you. All right, anyone else? Okay, um, I 
think, do we, do we have to do public comment for this? Yes. Okay, so oh, we move on to general public comment. This is our last item before we adjourn. So we'll just wait to see if there's any general public comment. As a friendly reminder, uh, please raise your hand with the raise hand function if you wish to make any general public comment. These comments shall not be directed to anything that's been discussed previously during this meeting. Thank you. Director, at this point, we see no hands. Okay, thank you. All right, then I think we are able to adjourn. Thank you for everyone. Meeting went a little bit longer, but after two years, there was a lot to cover. So thank you so much, and we will see you at the next meeting, hopefully in person. Be well, everyone. Thank you, bye.